You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. We're going to return one more time to uh, this uh, topic of with Christ in the school of prayer. The disciples asked Jesus uh, what we would consider a simple question, but uh, ultimately extremely profound when he said to Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Again, we have almost taught that in the Christian world that prayer is intuitive. We just kind of automatically know it. And because we talk about it, Often, it seems like it ought to be, if we're going to talk about it that much, it ought to be fairly easily understood. But there's been such components of it that I've discovered that are not deeply profound, but still yet missing often in our daily life. So I'm going to ask you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to begin there on, a, again, a very familiar passage and pick up this final topic that we're going to... Uh, we're going to discuss out of this, uh, out of this teaching. <clears throat> Again, next week, I'm not sure if we're going to be meeting in here or back in the fellowship hall. Right now, my, my plan is to be in here. Uh, and I'll, we'll just have the, the TV in here. No one questioning, no one wondering that how I feel about the movie, The Shack. Uh, again, I didn't understand is quite the controversy of it when uh, it first came out, but as I look at it now and realize the impact that it's had on me, I can I, again I could see somebody watching it that had a from a religious perspective and being offended, but from a relationship perspective, being overwhelmed. Again, one of the most unique things to me is and that I, I just personally loved was that Papa at the beginning of that, of that movie was a black woman. And the uniqueness of it in terms of relationship says, you know, what difference does this make? It's huge because what it tells us is that God knows how to come to us. We make him one way, stoic, with one look, one voice, one, one way, one method. And reality, if, again, I love this diversity. I love the fact that he made us all with such different stories, with, with such different looks, such different history. And he was able to do it over and over with the uniqueness. And so we have to be within ourselves. We have to be the evidence as the created being. We have to be evidence of the creator. So just how, just, just if, if I'll just look at us sitting here tonight, what does this tell us about God? Again, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. If I'm his workmanship, then I'm a reflection of who he is. So what would I have to say? Well, I'm going to have a hard time saying that he's only male. Or, or, or there's some folks in here that are going to be in trouble. 
But I think we're all made in the image of God. So I would have to say there's an attribute about him here that I'm going to have to at least acknowledge or not at anyway. And I realize that we approach life differently. So we recognize that he knows that. He made us that way. So we get to, we get, we get to recognize in him this amazing beauty of what unity looks like that doesn't require uniformity. So next week we'll start that study. Uh, again, I will be using the movie probably like 20 minutes at a time because that movie is such a wonderful story about what healing looks like. It's a great healing journey in sections. And uh, so we're going to be using that to give the structure of the study and then build on it from there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. I want to stop there for just a second. I can't get past that verse ever without stopping and commenting. I have shared with you all on multiple occasions that especially when back when Jan and I were raising our kids and they were smaller, <clears throat> we would share some things. We went to Glorietta one time and, and just by the nature of the questions that we asked, there was a crowd that kind of gathered around after, after the, that session was over uh, and asked us questions about parenting and it, we were there for a couple of hours. So we, we've been asked before to write a book. I've been asked to write a book at times to capture some of the things that I teach. And my answer is always the same. I am. I'm writing as fast as I can. But you're the pages. I don't want to write it on ink with ink on paper. I want to write it on your hearts because it's much more likely that somebody's going to read you than the book. And this is what Paul is expressing. He's saying, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm writing. But I want to write it on I want to write it on your hearts because you're, you're the ones that, yes, some will pick up the book and read it. Everyone will read your life. And Paul makes that point and he makes it very well. Verse three, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And then this verse, verse four, and such trust have we through Christ toward God. Listen to that again. And such trust we have through Christ toward God. A couple of more verses. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. But our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We find in here a component, this, this kind of this last statement I want to make about what it's like to be in this prayer life where, the, where, we, where we watch and expect and anticipate that that prayer is more than words we spoke but an act of obedience released. We've heard it over and over throughout this teaching 
that the very essence and the power of prayer is that we're praying in agreement with the Father's will. It was Jesus' model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's, it's all through as he taught them how to pray. To pray, you, you, you know my will. But he makes a statement here that is this basic, long-term heartbeat of a prayer life. He says it when he says, and such trust have we. I've, I've shared this illustration with you on several occasions, even recently, because I, ha- I explain this in, in my office a lot. It, I just, the people I, that I get in there that need to hear this, that when somebody walks in my office, I will, I will explain to them that when you walk in, you believe that that chair that's sitting there will hold you. It held you last week, held you two weeks ago. There's this very settled belief that if I sit in the chair, it'll hold me. Is that faith? No, not yet. Faith comes when I walk over to the chair and I back up to it. I can feel it against the back of my legs. But when the weight of my body goes down so far that I can't hold it anymore, and because of that, there's an impact between my body and that chair, that's faith. Because what happened? Faith will always allow someone or something to go to work on your behalf. Again, sitting here right now, you're all demonstrating faith in the chair that you're sitting in. It happened at the moment when the weight of your body rested in the chair and immediately the chair went to work on your behalf. I will tell you that will always be the result of faith. Always. Will there ever be a moment when in our life by faith we rest the weight of who we are into the identity of who he is that he won't go to work on our behalf. No, he's going to do it. It says, I don't want to make it seem like what I'm about to say, but it's as automatic or as certain that by faith in him, he's going to go to work on our behalf to accomplish his will in us and through us as it was certain that when you sat down in that chair, that chair went to work on your behalf. But right now, you've been in that chair for probably 25 minutes. That 25 minutes is the evidence that not only when you walked in did you believe it would hold you, not only by faith did you sit in it, trust is keeping you in it. You're trusting the chair right now. You've demonstrated the faith already by sitting down, letting that moment occur but you're trusting the chair and it's providing for you this longevity of rest in that chair, dependency on the chair. So why does that play so heavily into our prayer life? Because there's a moment in our prayer life, like when we prayed this morning for, for Adam and Lacey and Ariano's and this, this baby, and if y'all want to see a picture of this baby, they send me a picture of this little, this little child that they have just, fall in love with, 30 days old now. I will, I will send you that picture, but that, that prayer time this morning over, over, over them and over Rose, those, those are not simply 
I hope God does something. I will not pray from that perspective anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to pray and, and, and hoping, but I will pray trusting. It's different because trusting says, I have a faith and a certainty in that which I ask that God heard. And because I don't see the result in a minute, that means I'm going to trust him and I'm going to trust him tomorrow and I'm going to trust him the next day and I'm going to trust him the next day because trust adds longevity to my prayer life. That makes sense? Let's look at another verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll begin reading in, in verse 1. Listen in it for, the, for, the, for this key, this key uh, verse. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanliness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which tries our hearts. We hear it again in that verse four, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, he's put it in our hands. He's put good news in our hearts and released in our mouth and, he's, and he trusts us with it. That trust gives us longevity in the plan of God that he's not just gonna be here one moment and then we're gonna look up and he's gonna be gone. No, the trust is in him consistently and steadily. If I'm gonna trust him to be consistent and steady and, and, and faithful, that it, when, when, I, when I pray, it begins to tell me something that is critically necessary. We, in, the, in our culture, this gets talked about and taught about a lot. We, we love for the things we want to be met with instant gratification. We, we kind of want what we want when we want it. Well, again, we know too many stories in the scripture. We know that Zacharias and Elizabeth had prayed for a baby and prayed for a baby and prayed for a baby. And it's interesting when the, when the angel comes to, comes to him and to Zechariah and says, you know, your prayer has come up before the Lord. And we know their age, they're well along in years and you begin to recognize, I wonder how long it was that the, when they even asked the last time. I mean, if, if they were 80 years old or 90 years old, I wonder if it had been as long as 40 years ago or 50 years ago or the last time they even prayed that prayer. And, and for the angel to say, your prayer has come up before the Lord. I want to tell you that most of us don't have the willingness to, to, to wait 30 or 40 years for a prayer to be answered. But when we move in the certainty of faith, 
when we move in the certainty of who God is, as we said this morning, when we recognize that his throne rests squarely in my heart, that I am a part of a kingdom, and when I, can, when I can be certain and know that he is sitting on that throne, then even the words of my worship will be changed. That I will be, that I will be singing in an environment so radically different than the approach that God is somewhere near me or close to me so that if I need him, he'll come running. No, I mean, he is, I was, as, as I was singing this, this morning and just visualizing this, and it's like, it was kind of a strange moment. Randy, you're standing here like this. Why? Because in, in my mind, the throne that he's sitting on is right up here. High and lifted up. And where else would I focus? Where else would I look? Where else could I imagine him being if he was in the room with us, but in a place that would cause me to recognize who he was high and lifted up and drawing all men to him. Most of us, if we ever get that, if we ever have that intimacy of that relationship, trust is no longer in my prayer. It's in him who heard my prayer. And again, what a difference. When would he not, not ever pay attention? When would he ever forget? When would he ever not listen? When would he not, ever not answer? When we begin to recognize that it is trust that keeps me engaged in the answer and looking forward to his answer. There could always be more to say on this topic of prayer. Again, as certain as, as a gift found in our relationship with him, it is equally mysterious and grand and always seems to defy our understanding. Long, I can talk about prayer today. I could talk about prayer tomorrow. I could talk about prayer next week and next year and still feel like I didn't cover the topic. It's like, how could this simple communication between us and God be so complex and so profound? If you can ever, if you can ever imagine that having a conversation with the creator of the universe wouldn't take you in some strange directions uh, you're, you're better than me because I, I can't imagine all the things that might be included in this conversation just, just between me and him. So to, to, again, to take this final look, the question is formed around trust. <clears throat> we've, just, we've talked about this numerous times. In full relationship, and, and I, I would stress the word full, in full relationship and full yielding to the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's move through this, through this prayer sequence. If we start in that full relationship, that says that I know how I feel about him, I have a clear view of him, which has allowed me to have a clear view of me. If I start there, knowing who he is, knowing that my father loves me, knowing his heart toward me, knowing the favor that he shows me, if I start there in a full relationship with him and if I take hold of the promises that have been made by him toward us, 
Promises like I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Promises that are consistent and promises that we can lean on. When, when we move from relationship and we add to it the promises and have, and have believing that the Father has heard us, we must not be shaken in our faith we cannot be rattled in our trust. Do you think this morning that when we were praying for Adam and Lacey, do you think God heard us? If I believe that and I, and I believe who he is, I'm not going to tell you what the outcome is. But I will tell you that that prayer this morning heard by God is now, is now in the process of being answered. My faith and my trust says he has already started answering that prayer. It didn't get put on hold. It was a timing situation just as it was with Elizabeth and Zacharias. He didn't answer that prayer 40 years later. He started answering the prayer the, as they prayed it. Why? Because something had sustained them. Something had kept, had kept their faith. Something kept them engaged. I will tell you today, I don't know the, the when answers to any of these prayers, but I am confident in the one again to whom we prayed. We, sh we should not, if we know him in a relationship, if we trust the promises and we, and we are believing that the Father has actually heard us, why then would I be shaken? In my prayer, we, we sit down in hesitation. We sit down in uncertainty, wondering. Again, we've, we talk about this a lot, that many of us have developed a belief system about God based on a previous disappointment that we prayed and nothing happened. So much of our doctrine has been based on disappointment. And again, we know why, because we did not stop long enough to pray his will. We prayed ours and wondered why nothing happened. Y'all have heard me speak on Luke 137 before, for with God, nothing is impossible. That leaves us with this strange looking faith that says, okay, if I see somebody and I pray for them, then God is somehow obligated to heal them. For with God, nothing is impossible. It would work real handy, except that's not what the verse says. Again, I would encourage you at any time to look it up in Greek and see what it says because in English, the word nothing, no thing, two words, you look it up, you look it up in Greek, it's three words. It says no thing, rhema. It's kind of interesting that that word, word rhema, isn't included in, in Luke one thirty-seven, But in Greek, it was there. So what turns something from impossible to possible? God spoke it. That's how his will became relevant in the story. If it wasn't for that, it would, my will would be fine. My sovereignty in determining something would be fine. God saying, no, you're not ever really gonna get rid of my voice. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by every word, rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our faith is built on the fact that we can hear him, that we can, we can trust that we heard his voice. And when I hear his voice, it, my prayer life dynamically changes. I don't have to wonder, am I praying? 
what he asked. I, I, I love this story. I'm going to tell it one more time. And I promise I'm not going to tell it again until next week. <clears throat> Janice was having a thoracentesis at uh, the hospital in Lubbock. And of course, they wouldn't let me go back with her. So I'm sitting in the, in the waiting room and I got a call. I was the interim pastor at Ropes at the time. And I got a call from our uh, youth pastor that his mother-in-law had, was in, in that hospital where I was upstairs and she had been diagnosed with cancer. And they asked me if I could come up. So I came up to the room and they were urgent, pressing that I would pray that God would heal her. And he wouldn't let me. He would not let me pray that she would be healed. This isn't the first time this has happened. It's happened many times since, but this one was poignant. I mean, just heard it. And wow, if, if, if the preacher comes in the room, why in the world would he not pray for healing? And they got somewhat confused, maybe upset that I wouldn't do it. I prayed. I prayed what Janice's testimony scripture was that Peter in the water, she said, you, you might have heard her share it, that she was praying that God would allow her to ride peacefully in the boat that was still being tossed with the storm. And she did. She learned to ride peacefully in that, in that boat that was being tossed by cancer. She learned it very well. And so I shared that with them, and I went back downstairs. And I, a few minutes later, I got a call. Can you come back up? It's like, oh, here we're going for round two. I got up there and his mother-in-law was sitting on the side of the bed putting her clothes on, putting her shoes on. I said, something must have changed. And they, they, they said, yeah, the doctor stepped in, said he stepped into the wrong room. And she didn't have cancer at all. She could go home. And I understood why I wasn't going to be able to pray for healing. She wasn't sick. I love just the unusual way that God knows what he's doing. If we trust him. Each of us as believers, when we know that, when we know that that which we brought to the Father, when we know we did so according to his will, we should continue in believing, continue in expecting Continue in persevering until we see that will accomplished. That will change our prayer life. I'm going to read that again. Each of us as believers, when we know, key word, Jimmy and Margie Kennedy's over and over. When you know that you know that you know that you know. When you know that that which we brought to the Father we did so according to his will. That's key that we line those two things up. We brought it, but we brought back to him something that is in agreement with him by his will. We should continue in believing. Continue in expecting. Continue in persevering until we see that will accomplished. We often pray with no anticipation, little expectation 
little faith, little trust. Just kind of believing, in, and I know this may be splitting hairs, maybe. But I think sometimes when we pray, we, we almost move and say, okay, I've prayed, now it's in God's hands. Sorry, no. My trust, my faith keeps believing, keeps expressing that will keeps moving in that direction. I'm still an active part of that prayer prayed. It's not, I prayed it, okay, it's out. It's, it's, no, I continue trusting, persevering, expecting that that which we ask would be done. I love, I, I shared this last week. I love that Jesus prayed in, in John 17, verse 20, when he first immediately prayed for us, prayed for himself, prayed for the disciples, verse 20, he prays for us. He says to all who believe, the very first things he says, Father, I pray that they would be one. All who believe would be one. That's why we asked, we approached this question last week. How many churches are there? One. Only one. Every believer in every church, in every denomination, in every city, in every nation, across the world, in every color, in every creed, in every tongue, one church that links us as believers together by one Holy Spirit. There's only one church. Because I believe the Father answered that prayer. When we call this the church and that a church, when we make that designation and we begin to protect this place somehow as if it was ours to protect, when we start doing that, we start making this the church. And I will assure you, that's not what he's talking about. He answered the prayer. He answered the prayer and we, you and I, Landon as he's describing this and, and being in these different places, don't care where the, where, where the Lord takes him. He belongs to the same church I do. It's not a question of membership. It's a question of who our Lord is and who, our, who the Holy Spirit is that dwells in us because he answered the prayer. I don't think Jesus had any issues of praying that prayer and wondering if the Father was going to come through or not. I'm pretty certain he knew. This persevering prayer, trust, will by its nature drive out my will from all purposes. I'll say that again because it's important. This persevering prayer, this ongoing trust that I have, that, that what I said he heard and that it was in agreement with his will, that persevering prayer, that trust will by its nature drive out my will in the certainty of praying his will. If I pray, 
in, in, in the way we're describing, as I said earlier, when we know that, that which we brought to the Father, we did so according to his will. When we have prayed like that, how much room is there in there for my will? None. It's not my will. We, we ask this huge question, why are, why are our prayer lives so often ineffective? Whose will are we praying? We're praying ours. I shared with y'all two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, that in the last few months I had prepared three sermons that y'all never heard. One of them you heard part of, the, rest, the other two you didn't hear any of. Because as, as, I, as I look back over them, I realized that there was a small part of that message that had originated in me. I wanted to make a point. I've done this over 11 years now and you haven't heard my opinion in it yet. And I, and I, and I just, like, no, I am not starting now. I am not going to insert in a 30 minute sermon one minute of my opinion or my perspective. And if I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, this is Randy. This is not God. This is just my thought. You're not going to get it. If it doesn't originate in him, if it's not his anointing, I'm not going to stand up here under that anointing and express my opinion. There's a lot of that goes on in pulpits, but uh, it should not be. We are expressing his will. And when we do it, our will will immediately. We, we hung on too long, stayed where, where we weren't. We're, we're, you know, we get this idea of permanence sometime when God says go. We watch this in Elijah as he's sitting there by the brook. And God says, sit here at the brook and I'll send birds to feed you and there'll be water to drink. Well, finally the drought took its toll on the brook and it dried up. And God says, I want you to go to the widow Zarephath. Most of us would have said, no, you, you told me to stay here by the brook. And... Uh, Come back in a year and he shriveled up and dead on the ground because he, but he, but he stayed. No, he went to the widow Zarephath because we, we, we began to attach permanence to something that God didn't say was permanent. We have to, we have to recognize that his will isn't, isn't a fixed point. It's a journey that he has us on and we can resist that journey many, many times. It's important in our prayer life with Christ in the school of prayer. What did he say in his prayer? Not my will, yours. I think if I'm going to learn prayer, I probably ought to trust that Jesus knew what he was talking about. That even as the son of God in, the, in his humanity would not dare say, I'm going to exert my will in the presence and in substitution for yours. So as long as I'm, as long as I'm pursuing the will of God and praying the will of God, my will will be taken care of very naturally. Diligence allows us to discern spiritual will from our mind's desires. We say that again. Diligence, being faithful in this, listening, learning, actually understanding how the voice of God works. How does he speak? What does it look like? What does it sound like? How do we understand that this was God speaking? When we, as, as we grow in that, we will be able to discern spiritually a separation between that which originated in our minds. People come in often. I, I deal with this routinely, and I'm sure you do too. 
They'll come to me and say, I think I'm supposed to go on this mission trip. I think we're supposed to do this. I feel like I'm supposed to go. My responsibility when I hear those words think and feel that, are, that originate in the soul, my responsibility as a pastor, as a teacher, as a friend, is to get that out of their mind and into the spirit. Well, when I know that the daily activity of my spirit is to watch and listen based on what Jesus said, I can only do what I see. I can only speak what I hear. If he's going to say that, and without that, I can do nothing. If he's going to say that, then my responsibility is to get it out of thinking and get it out of feeling into, into seeing and into hearing. When did you see that? That's my question. When did, where were you when you saw that? Where were you when you heard that? Because my responsibility is to get it out of their minds into the spirit. And if they say, no, I just feel like it. Well, we probably, you, you probably need to ask again. And let him speak so that you can articulate. I was here. I was in my car. I was in class. I was sitting here. I was in the park. I was in doing something else. When, when God said, I want you to go. I want to tell you, our faith is different in those moments when we've actually heard his will. Prayer hinges on our knowing the mind of Christ. Prayer hinges on us knowing the mind of Christ comes in real handy because it says we have the mind of Christ. Prayer is, it, it becomes a very not routine thing, but much more natural thing when we have the mind of Christ because I'm not constantly searching for his will, having to ask that. I know it because, we, because I already have his mind. Once his will is known, we live patiently, expectantly, hopefully, that he is already answering that which we have asked. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.